0: Well, I invite you to bow your heads with me. Let's have a word of prayer. And let's praise God as we pray to Him. Father in heaven, we thank you so much, not only for this Sabbath day, but for caring for us in even the smallest of things. And you control galaxies. Uh, and yet yeah, you can provide a vehicle for Susan. And we praise you for that. And, uh, you know, uh, we praise you that you you take care of us and give us the necessities we need, the food that we have the the shelter, clothing, friends, church family, all these different things, we praise your holy name. But above all, salvation through Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind. We praise your holy name for that, Lord. We praise you for the birds that are singing right now. They're praising you too, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we also uh, wish to lift up before you these requests that have been made uh, Malia, she's been dealing with issues for a very, very long time, and we're starting to, to see, maybe comprehend some demonic forces here, some demonic issues. We pray that angels will be sent to her, surround her, and battle these forces and remove them so that she can hear about the love of God. Uh, we think of Kurt, um, Denny's uh, husband, uh, he has uh, got a tough road. Lord, he's been diagnosed with this lymphoma, and uh, Lord, we pray that he remains faithful and continually gives his heart to Thee and trusts Thee in these uh, these treatments, and that You will heal him. And Father Marcia, our friend who lives out in Idaho who has liver failure, we pray, Lord, that that You will deal in that situation uh, in the best of ways, in, according to Thy will, and. Uh, we look forward uh, to, to miracles that you have yet to perform. Uh, Father, we have Jerry here, a member of our church, who is uh, uh, suffering a bit with income. To go two months without much income is, how can we comprehend that? Uh, we pray that uh, you will help her to gain more clients, uh, have a dramatic increase in income, Uh, that she can praise your name from here to the bank, Lord, and uh, to all around her and help her to be a good witness to her clients. We thank you for being near her children, being with Jim. He's still working uh, also for that you will be with Kelly and and help her with all the the issues that she goes through. And we know this is a bad year for, we've been told, for allergies, and we pray that uh, you especially help uh, those who suffer. Uh, lead them uh, to healthful remedies and ways that uh, can alleviate these things. And uh, Lord, uh, I pray that you give me the words to speak, give me the stamina to stand in the pulpit here, and uh, give the message that you have for today. Again, we thank you for Jesus. We ask forgiveness for our sins. We pray that you will forgive us, that we may have a joyous day today, uh, bringing uh, glory to thy name, learning from your word, and having Righteous fellowship with each other. We thank you so much for hearing this prayer. As we pray it in Jesus' name, we know it's your will. Amen. Heaven, yeah, uh, <laughs> You dropped your walking stick and I dropped my water. I I think we're on the same page. Well, we're getting closer to crunch time. I think we can say that for sure, can't we? The devil's throwing a number of things at us, I think, in an attempt to trip us up in our walk. Of course, we know he always does that, but it seems like it's intensified. And so I want to talk about uh, having endurance, a saintly endurance. And... uh, well, that's going to be the theme here as I speak to you today. And I hope I have endurance as I talk about this with you. Um, <clears throat> you know, the devil, he just needs us to be distracted for a moment, doesn't he? And then uh, he can divert us off our pathway. Sometimes it seems too easy to do that. And uh, if we aren't careful, we'll. We think we're headed on the way to the kingdom, but we're headed on the way to death and hell. And we talked about that at Sabbath school, too, didn't we? Uh, The church got in trouble. They thought they were on the way to heaven. They weren't on the way to heaven. And uh, so, as I said today, earlier, I said too often we think we know what's best for us, you know, because really it's us who else would know better than us, right? When really God knows what's best for us. But we have to learn that God knows what's best for us. We have to have that experience that God does indeed know what's best for us. Because sometimes we just kind of give God a try. And if that doesn't work, you know, well, then he either doesn't hear us or care about us enough to help. There's millions of people in the world that are in that situation. Well, I gave God a try, but, you know, nothing happened. But is that really true? The Bible tells us that God is always striving to win us to himself. And so, maybe it isn't God that's not listening. Maybe we're the ones that have the hearing problems, you know. And so every one of us has hardships to deal with, and and hopefully we learn from these hardships. And if we hang with God, then He will see us through the hardships and teach us something meaningful about the experience that actually edifies us. It edifies us in our walk and, and our character. That's what God is concerned about, is developing a righteous character. And if we let go of God through the hardships, what are we left with? You know, I used to, uh, in fact, I did a message about uh, God in a box, and you remember in the Old Testament the Philistines had, had gotten the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in their temple, and they because they thought just by possessing this they could pull it out and have power. And when they received plagues instead, you know they put it on a cart where they'll, you know and sent it back to Jerusalem, you know send it on the way to Israel, let them. Them have it. The problem was that that Israel fell into the same mentality. As long as we possess this, we can take it on the field of battle and we will be victorious. And I call that God in a box. We pull God out when we need him. We stuff him back in the box when we think we're doing okay. Right. And, and, And too often too many people do that. But God's wanting to edify us, to change us, to be more like Him. Like we were created in His image, right? To be more like Him in the beginning of creation. And if we let go of God, we're going to be left with the devil and He's going to teach us lessons of rebellion and spite. Which forms our character to be like His instead of like God. Selfishness essentially, isn't it? So you see, beloved, the devil wants to break our will to live for and with God. That's his whole purpose. Other than to murder us. I mean, he really would like to murder us while we're in our sins. But he wants us to, if if he can't kill us, he wants us to be like him. See? Just like God wants us to be like him. And so, what is our choice. What choice are we going to make? How do we deal with these hardships? Where do we get endurance? A saintly endurance. Because there are wicked that endure. How do we get a a saintly endurance? Our destiny depends upon how we deal with these trials that come our way. Will we steadfastly endure the trials and temptations and receive eternal life? Or will we give in to them and be destroyed in hellfire or the second death, as the Bible calls? Well, there is a scripture that means a tremendous amount to me personally that I want to share with you in the hope that it encourages you. You know what this scripture is, we've seen it before. But I think it encourages us to hang in there with the Lord, especially. Through the tough times. And this is a promise for us. It's found in Philippians 1.6. This is Paul. Paul was trying to encourage the Philippians. He said, being confident of this very thing. Being what? Confident. How do you gain confidence? You've gone through it maybe before. Right? And I, I did this, I made it through that time. I'm confident. If that ever happened again, I know what to do. See? I know how God helped me. I have confidence in it. And this is what Paul's saying being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So if God has started a work in you, this is what Paul was telling them. He has started a good work in you. So be confident. God's no quitter. Oh, you may have some hardships, but God's not quitting. God doesn't quit because of hardships. Sometimes He allows them to make us stronger. And we can gain confidence. Be confident. God started a work in you, He's going to perform it not just through the end of this trial, but until Jesus comes back. So be confident. God started a work in you. He's going to finish it. But you've got to trust Him, right? So if we're to have a steadfast endurance that takes us through the the fiery days of temptation, we must have a confidence that God's going to do what He's promised to do. We must learn to trust God implicitly with all things pertaining to our life, especially when we don't see the results. That's the tough part. Maybe we don't see the results we expect to see. That's even tougher. Well, you know, when I was in the hospital, we spent several days. Deb come in, stay, and we had no answers. It was just tests. That's hard. You you know, or or you expect a certain outcome and it doesn't come out that way. That's tough. And of course, I you know, I I talk, told you in a testimony. I kind of went through, you know, but I came out with a greater confidence that God's going to finish the work. What am, you know, what am I going to learn from it, and it it strengthened my confidence in God. And that's what he's trying to do. And this is what Paul's saying. God's going to finish his work. He wants us to remember that God is the author of our salvation. So he will finish the book of our life if we allow him to keep writing. But we can make choices, can't we? We can choose, God, I don't want you to continue to write in my life. Don't fill in the blanks anymore. That's letting the devil win, isn't it? So we want to allow God to be the author. The Bible says he is the author of our faith. Let us let him finish his book. That's what it means to have confidence, a trust that God is in control, and we're okay with him. I've given my the chapter, the book, the chapter, you know, and God's going to write it all in. He's the author of our salvation. And so there's going to be a, the Bible tells us there's going to be a generation of people. There's going to be a generation that endure steadfastly. A saintly generation. And the question is, are we going to allow God to work in our life? Or are we going to be a part of that generation? That's the present truth for this time, isn't it? And where do we find that at? We find it in Revelation, don't we? Revelation 14:12. This is our present truth, Revelation 14. But 14:12 14, talks about this generation. It says, "Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus." Now, the English word patience there, if you look it up and you look at the Greek, and it is better rendered steadfast endurance. The context calls attention to that struggle that they have, a fearful struggle, with the beast in his image. You study Revelation 14 and on out. They have a fearful struggle. And Jerry, some of the hardships that you're going through and some of the hardships that that, uh, uh, Susan goes through and we all go through is a training for this time. Yeah, We've been betrayed before. A couple of times in our life it hurts. It's bad. But we we look back and we go, this is kind of a training for us. Because when this time comes, where the patience of the saints is called for and will be reflected to the world is a very hard time. It's a hard time as they struggle with the beast and his image. Every attempt is going to be made to force the saints to join the movement promoted by that second beast. I mean, including the threat of boycott. And eventually it gets to a death decree, doesn't it? Well, they will line us up Some of us will be thrown in prison and they'll throw away the key. Some of us may have our heads cut off. (laughs) There will be martyrs. And so it's going to be a tough time. And through all this, this faithful remnant, they steadfastly endure, maintain their integrity. They maintain their faith. And this is a generation. They have a saintly endurance. But they, they didn't get that endurance overnight. I mean, how? How they get? Did they have a wand waved over them by God that gets them out of trouble? You know, sometimes we go through trials, and, and God will step in, and there's something miraculous that that He does. You know, only if it brings glory to Him, you'll find that to be the case. Most times, we have to endure it. And and this is where we find in the Bible where Paul talks about these are people that have worked out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Because as they've worked through it, they've learned to trust God in all things no matter the difficulty. The difficulty becomes kind of second, secondary. It's how is my relationship with God? What am I to learn from this? You know, through. What I'm going through, that's what I ask. What is he trying to teach me here, Lord? I never thought, well, God's trying to punish me. (laughs) That never even entered my mind. There's a preparation before war, isn't there? Mm -hmm. There's practice, preparation. And so, in order to endure, there has to be practice. And these are what these trials... and such things are, we learn to trust in God. Do you want to have the ability to to endure all the trials of life? I mean especially those that are on the horizon here with the battle with the beast and, and the image, the Sunday law, you know the death penalty I do if i'm there if I'm there, <laughs> and so we shouldn't be upset about trials and some tribulations. We should see them for what they are. Because, you know, really now is not the time to lose heart, but strengthen our love for Christ, right? Let's not lose our first love. Not now, beloved. I mean, we're right there at the end. Now is the time to draw closer to Christ and each other to prepare for what lies ahead. This is the preparation time. We're in kind of the early rain time praying for that latter rain. See? And I like to tell people what is past is past. It can't be changed. You know, mom used to say, don't cry over spilt milk. Right? There's nothing you can do about it except don't do it again. What are you going to learn from it? See? Let's not make the same mistakes we used to. And that takes faith and it takes work, doesn't it? Let's not quit now. We're so close to the end. It's remarkable. When we're in heaven, we'll look back and we'll say, man, we were really close to the end. You know? But we love it when our work is done, don't we? When the trial is over, we can rejoice. Like I said, there's joy in the morning. We like to be happy. Who doesn't? happy, happy. Happy. We like the feeling when we, we've made it through a tough situation. That's, you know, that is past and that's over, and I enjoy that. You know, there's a sense of joy, of well being once again. But often, here on this earth, the trial's not over. We're not finished. We know there's something else coming. We're just starting. We often wish we were at the end when we've only begun. Like I said during this recent health ordeal, I've been physically, I've been very weak. I just don't have much energy right now, but there are still things that have to be done, regardless of my condition. The other day, I did a bit of work on uh, my mower, and Deb came out. She's, I I think, trying to be my right-hand man. And uh, my boys will come out, and they'll help me. I just... And it's this medication they have me on. I can't do much of anything. I hate it. I'll get up and I'll do something for five minutes and I'm like, I'm shot. You know. But I did a little bit of work on my mower because whether I'm weak or not, grass still grows, doesn't it, Rollin? Yes, it does. <laughs> so I did a bit of work on the mower and I put the battery charger on it for a quick charge. And I got a lawn chair so I could sit down and wait during that quick charge. <laughs> so you were watching the battery charge? Yeah, essentially. I, I was sitting in a lawn chair resting, watching a battery charge. Is that, you know, now, that was a quick charge. Paint well, to me, I, was, I felt relieved because I was off my feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, But you're right, after a while, it's like, I'm sitting here watching a battery charge, I was telling myself. But when I when I sat down, my point is, and it was a quick charge. It wasn't, you know, it was a ten minute charge or whatever. But when I sat down, I got comfortable, and this made it more difficult to get up and go back. and <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, I'll wait another five minutes, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, or oh, you know, five. yeah, you know, into a half hour. yeah, you know, and, and then I, you know, I tell myself, well, I ain't got nothing else to do, you know, you. see. <laughs> Well, I can do. Yeah, I yeah. can do, you know. There's always tomorrow. Uh, don't do what. But, don't do today, are going to oh. till tomorrow. <laughs> well, you know. And and uh, you looked at my yard, you'd say, "No, I couldn't wait till tomorrow." And uh, so um spiritually speaking, though, beloved, we cannot sit down because the job's not done. That's right. Uh, and this is the time that we need to have saintly endurance. You know, not to uh, you know, sit back on our heels and think, you know, which too many people in the church do and, and believe, I'm going through. I'm just sitting here waiting for the Lord to come, occupy, you know, until the Lord returns. Now's the time we need to put more effort into it because time is shorter. There was a time when the Israelites were in the wilderness and it was years before they would be in Canaan, they had to go through the middle of the, the wilderness. And it was a wilderness. And sometimes you may feel like you are in a similar circumstance. You know, a hot, dry wilderness or in an ocean of difficulties. But God hasn't left you alone. That's when he's really more near. Jesus has promised in Isaiah 43 three two. we read this. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not over, overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Jesus will always be with you, and we need his presence, don't we? We still have many mountains to climb. I don't want to discourage you, but encourage you. We talked about faith earlier. you have faith of a mustard seed. You can move mountains, and we still have mountains to climb. But see, God's training us and increasing and strengthening our faith through these, these other trials. In the midst of trials, we have moments of peace. And this is the way I like to look at it. Instead of, in the midst of all this peace we have, we have moments of trials. On this earth, we have an enemy who's trying to kill us. So we're we're in the midst of trials, but in the midst of these trials we have, we have moments of peace, moments when we feel that for now everything's okay, one less thing out of the way, you know, kind of thing. The trials on this, this earth come again, don't they? And we find ourselves in the furnace again and again, and we need endurance to withstand the character forming process. And it's my hope to point you towards the one who knows the most about that endurance. Hebrews 12 and verse 2, looking unto who? Jesus. Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. But we're to look to Him. Not to look to others, see their faults, make us feel a little better. We talked about this, but John was trying to tell us. Look to Jesus, who is love, and to have that love in our hearts, Right? Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured what? The cross. Despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The endurance of Jesus was based on let me tell you this, friends. He endured because he could see the future. We can see the future by faith in the promises of God. Jesus could see the future. His endurance was based on the joy that he could see in the future and that future joy was so real to him that he endured the fortunes, or excuse me, the tortures fortunes, the tortures of Calvary. He took no account of the mean remarks made of him. As it's written, he despised the shame. Didn't we just read that? He looked towards the future. And what brought joy to his heart was being with the redeemed. Who he was dying for. And even if it would have been just one person, that's who he would have saw. And that would have brought joy to his heart and he would have endured it all for that one person. And so we can learn about this kind of marvelous endurance by looking at various examples You see, there's one of Jesus. He looked towards the future, didn't he? But first is the story of a man who didn't pass the endurance test. He was a great man, biblical, great man in all the Bible. He fought and won many battles with God. He had subdued self and won. But finally, even he was overcome. He got impatient, he got angry. His name is Moses, and he was much like any one of us before God helped him. And, and I take some solace in this, that there are people in the Bible that we are like. <laughs> and it, it, it encourages me, and it is an encouragement to all of us, I think. Let me share this with you from Volume 1 of the Spirit of Prophecy, page 313. She says, he was naturally impatient. This is Moses. He was naturally impatient, she said, but he had taken hold firmly of the grace of God and so humbly implored wisdom from heaven that he was strengthened from God and had overcome his impatience so that he was called by God the meekest man upon the face of the whole earth. So he started out as what? Naturally impatient. Very impatient. One of the things about Moses was he recognized he had this problem. Because he had taken, as she says, hold firmly of the grace of God and implored him through time to help him to overcome this. And he did. Got to a point where God said, he's the meekest man on the whole earth. And, I, and like I said, this should be very encouraging to us. Because he started out with this, this issue, this problem, and he overcome through the grace of God. Then a sad time came in the life of Moses. I mean, you look at Moses, and, and here's the meekest man on the whole earth. And who's he, who is he leading? Some of the worst, I mean, you talk about impatient, stiff-necked, stubborn people, you know. I'm sure that they helped him to become very patient. But he'd been putting up with a stiff-necked, rebellious people for 40 years. He'd long endured their complaining, but he eventually became weary. Sometimes what a person is strong at... uh, first to resist, over time starts getting under their skin. You know what I mean? It used to be, that's never bothered me before, but through time it's like, boy, it just is getting to me. You know? It becomes very difficult to bear. And the storm continues to rage, and those that have stood against the apostasy for a long time, they can get weary, can't we? And this is the situation that Moses was in. Forty years, the people had complained and complained, and he was sick and tired of it. You ever get sick and tired of something? Oh, yeah. You know, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, yeah, I, I've gotten to where there are certain things that, you know, I'm, I am just sick and tired of that. You know, Moses, Moses got sick and tired of it. And the Lord did something very interesting. And we need to consider how the Lord deals with people. Because sometime He might deal with us that way. But it's interesting how He deals with certain situations and He deals with people. The Lord had given them water out of the rock for 40 years. They had all the water they needed. It's a long time. A lot of them became used to it, expected it. And just before they were ready to go into the promised land, the water stopped. Well, the Lord wanted to test their endurance to see if it had increased. Test their faith. Go back to volume 1 of the Spirit of Prophecy, page 309. It says, The Lord caused the living streams to cease to prove His people again to see if they would endure the trial of their faith or would again murmur against Him. So it was a test, wasn't it? Now, they weren't in danger of dying of thirst. You know, he didn't stop and say, okay, I'm just going to stop it, and you can get your own water. He was testing them. They were going, I mean, after all, they're going into a country uh, where there, it was flowing with milk and honey. I mean, it was the promised land, right? So the Lord tested his people, and he hoped that his people would trust him, but we know the story, don't we? They failed the test. They murmured, they complained. In Numbers 20, verse 3, we read, And the people chided with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, that's what we think. But aren't we many times the same as they? They were talking about when their brethren who were in direct rebellion against God. This is what they're talking about. Uh, they, they were against God and Moses. Had died in the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Remember when the earth was opened up and and uh, swallowed them alive? They were saying, "We wish we would have been swallowed alive with them." That's what they were saying. In fact, they were saying more than that. Their whole attitude was that you know these people who were in direct Rebellion against God through Moses and Aaron would have treated us better. That's what they were saying. They would have treated us better than Moses, the meekest man on earth. <laughs> oh, yeah, they would have treated us much better. I wish we would have been with them. And so Moses is hearing all this, and Moses was bitterly disappointed let me tell you something. Being bitterly disappointed can lead to discouragement, and then that can lead to sin. And we see this right here in this example. From Acts of the Apostles, a real quick statement, page 265. Disappointment often leads to unbelief. And when you have unbelief, you will choose to sin because you have unbelief. And so Moses was bitterly disappointed at leading to discouragement and what did Moses do? He fell into unbelief. He thought that because the people had complained that the Lord would not let this last generation go into Canaan. That's what Moses thought. We've wandered around here for 40 years and now we're not going to get a go in because of you people. This is what he was thinking. I'm going to have to stay out here. Good grief. How many more years with you stiff-necked dumb people you know well look what Moses is doing what do we learn from Sabbath school he's taking his eyes off the Lord and he's looking at these people isn't he I mean he became angrier and angrier because he's thinking back 40 years I tried to show these people the love of God teach them your law when they complain, I tried to stop it, and here they are, at it again. And I'll tell you, it is, it is hard to live with people who are contrary day after day, isn't it? Volume 1, Spirit of Prophecy, page 310 says, He became weary with the continual murmuring of the people against Him. So Moses was getting sick and tired of it. I've learned that there are people who only see the negative in things. They never see the positive, nor do they look for the positive. It's like they love to revel in the negative. And that's with people or situations. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to say it, and you're back here wanting me to say it. I know you are. If you guys can recall, I did a sermon on this. I call them negative waivers. Okay, I said it. For you. These people are negative waivers. It's hard to be around them all the time. It can, it can you know, wax against you. It's just tough. So they were continually murmuring. They were nagging. They were contradicting Moses. It was very frustrating to Moses. And by taking his eyes off God, he made the mistake of taking it personally. That's the thing. And because, you know, really the people, they weren't murmuring against Moses, but against God. And what happened was Moses forgot that he was hiding in the hand of God as God's servant. You know, I've had people wax against me and say things against me, and the temptation is to take it personally. But I remember, they're not really arguing against me. You know, it's against, uh, against God. Sometimes we forget that the work is not ours, but it is God's. And by taking our eyes off God, we make the same mistake Moses made. We take it personally. And here's, here's the story of how Moses gave in to his disappointment and frustrations. We're still in Numbers chapter 20, if you go to verse 8. Take the rod. Now this is the Lord speaking to Moses. Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and the beasts drink. So this was the test, and then God told Moses what to do. So what was Moses to do? He was to take his rod, and he was to smack it on the rock until it... That's not what he was supposed to do, was it? He was to speak to the rock. He had struck the rock 40 years earlier, hadn't he? But the rock was only to be smitten once. And this is a valuable lesson to us. That rock represents who? That rock represents Christ. Christ is our rock, right? And he was to be smitten once for us. And Moses had done that 40 years before. Today we only need to speak to Jesus, don't we? We're not Catholics. We go by the Bible. Catholics smack the rock every time they have communion. That's why they have a crucible with Jesus still on that cross. He's put to death every time they have communion. No. This tells us that that rock was to be smitten only once. And so Moses was to speak to the rock, wasn't he? That's a lesson for us. We're just about to go into the promised land. We can come to Jesus and speak to him. He doesn't have to be crucified. So we can speak to him and ask for the water of life, isn't that right? Notice this, Desire of Ages, page 194. To every soul, <coughs> excuse me, to every soul, however sinful, Jesus says, If thou hast asked of me, I would have given thee living water. We can speak to him. Ask him. See? And that water of life was purchased for us on the cross. So today we can receive it by asking for it. But when he comes the second time, well, let me put it this way. Sin's not going to rise up a second time. Jesus will not have to die again. Just once, see, just once. And that's what the Lord wanted to show with this wonderful illustration here. We go back to Numbers 20, verse 9. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also if you go back to the Spirit of Prophecy, volume 1, page 310, she says, Here Moses sinned. He became weary with the continual murmuring of the people against him. So let me ask you a question. Where did Moses fail? Did he fail by telling a lie? I mean, he got up there and he said, Here now ye rebels. Was he lying about that? No. I mean, although he didn't portray the character of Christ correctly, he didn't actually lie with his words. He was telling the truth, really. They were rebels. (laughs) Even though what Moses said was the truth, and we've got to be careful about this, friends, it was offensive to God the way he said it patriarchs and prophets page 417 this accusation was true but even truth is not to be spoken in passion or impatience when he took it upon himself to accuse them he grieved the spirit of God and wrought only harm to the people his lack of patience and self control was evident see that's what they saw it wasn't the words that got him they saw his actions and how he spoke them so we got to be careful even when speaking the truth. Basically, the whole congregation, everybody there saw him get mad. And they heard the angry tones in his voice. So God's character through Moses was misrepresented. That's what it was. But why did Moses fall? That was the question, wasn't it? Patriarchs and Prophets, page 418 to 419. I took this out of there. Wearied with the continual murmuring and rebellion of the people, Moses had lost sight of his almighty helper. It was by looking to themselves, appealing to their own sympathies, that they unconsciously fell into sin and failed to set before the people their great guilt before God. We wind up doing it unconsciously. This is how we're led in, into being deceived. I mean, who consciously is deceived? Some people, that's called rebellion. Uh, they were re- rebels. And they unconsciously fell into sin. Now here's, here's something that's kind of, we've been going over and over today. I mean, even in Sabbath school and today. It's, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how many battles in which you've stood firm for truth, firm for Jesus and righteousness, if you are not looking to Jesus, you will fall. Moses fell. And that's the most perfect example of that point, other than, you know. Well, he probably is the most perfect. He was the meekest man on earth. And because of that, he became impatient. I mean, that's what the devil was hammering on. If he's looked at as the most meekest man, I'm going to get him to fall that way. Be impatient. Is that what happens? People watch us, don't they? They, they hear our proclamations. They see our testimony. They're looking for us to mess up. You know, if I perf- I'm very good at one particular thing, it's it's like I said earlier, you, a, a particular thing may not be an, a problem for you. The devil's going to work on that with you. And he's going to try to get you to trip up on that very thing because it destroys your testimony, See? So if Moses fell, what's that tell us? We can fall too, doesn't it? And Moses' sin was very grievous because he didn't have to fall. He dishonored God's power, His sustaining power. And in this biblical instance, even though the people were wicked, they, and and look at this, they never received a rebuke from God. The people didn't. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Only Moses and Aaron got rebuked because they were the examples to the people. See? Patriarchs and Prophets, page 418. God did not, on this occasion, pronounce judgments upon those whose wicked course had so provoked Moses and Aaron. All the reproof fell on the leaders. Those who stood as God's representatives had not honored him. Now, if he'd honored them, who knows? You know, when you think about impatience in our world and what we deal with most of the time, there are people that think it's okay to be impatient. I mean, if you're tired enough. It's kind of an excuse. I'm too tired, whatever, you know. Or it's okay to sound harsh if you've had a hard day or you have, maybe you have a headache or something. Or you're hungry or whatever it may be. But God's never permitted that. God's never permitted that. He didn't allow that kind of attitude in Moses, and it's not all right today. Notice this from Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 2. We rejoice in hope, not in feeling. In the hope of the glory of God, we know that tribulation worketh patience and experience hope. What does it mean? If we do not feel just as we want to, Are we to fly into impatience, speaking those words that show that we have the attributes of Satan? We cannot afford to speak a harsh word or an unkind word because we are standing right in view of the heavenly intelligences and we are fighting the battle with all of the heavenly universe looking upon us. And how we grieve the heart of God when we deny Him in any way. The marks of the crucifixion in the hands of Christ show that He has graven us upon the palms of His hands. How could we do such things? Did you know there's not going to be one harsh word in heaven? I'm glad of that. And if we are to be there, we must learn here not to speak in such ways. We can be patient no matter how tired, no matter what time it is. We're still working, how hot it is, or anything else really. This is something we have to learn. There's no circumstance, nothing that can separate us from the sustaining power of God except as we choose to leave him. And this is what Moses did, see. Moses didn't have to fall. One of the greatest and most powerful promises I've ever found in, in uh, the spirit of prophecy clarifies this situation of Moses. From Patriarchs and Prophets, page 421. God has made ample provision for his people. And if they rely upon His strength, they will never become the sport of circumstances. You see that? If we rely upon God's strength, we will never become the sport of circumstances. We can't say, well, that was that particular circumstance. The strongest temptation cannot excuse sin. However great the pressure brought to bear upon the soul, transgression is our own act. It is not the power of earth or hell to compel anyone to evil. Satan attacks us at our weak points, but we need not be overcome. However severe or unexpected the trial, I like that, unexpected the trial, God has provided help for us, and in his strength we may conquer. We have to learn to trust, don't we? So, you know, never excuse yourself because of Moses. <laughs> well, Moses did it. You know, Moses took his eyes off God. And if Moses had kept his eye on you know, Jesus and the joy that was set before him going into the promised land, he would have had strength to endure. And even the little things can draw our, our thoughts to heaven. Remember, we, we looked at it, Jesus looked forward into the future and he saw joy. He had joy in that, and that's what got him through you know, being crucified. So we can see little things that can draw our thoughts to heaven, and that gives us hope and helps us to endure. So I was watching out the window the other day and seeing the effects of the wind. We've had some really windy days here. Um, my mind went to this quotation. It's in Early Writings, page 18. And here she was in a vision. She said, I saw a field of tall grass, most glorious to behold. She's in heaven. She's walking around in heaven. She sees this grass. It was living green, and it had a reflection of silver and gold as it waved proudly to the King Jesus. And I looked at the grass, which hadn't been mowed yet, (laughs) you know, outside. And I thought, Lord, I want to be there. I want to be in heaven and, and see the grass waving in honor to Jesus. I want to stand in heaven and know that I'm there, that all temptations forever gone and I'm internally secure because of Christ and what He's done for me. I want to be there. And it was just a little thing. That's a little thing, isn't it? But the little things in life can remind us of heaven and help us to endure. And my point is that each one of us Really, each one of us has trials. And the salve to them, these trials, is to fix our eyes on the joys of heaven. That's why we have a blessed hope. That's why we call it the blessed hope. Jesus coming. And that will make the trials of life seem temporary, like they... They really are. They are temporary. Heaven's forever, isn't it? (laughs) Trials are temporary. That's pretty good remember that. Heaven is forever. Trials are temporary. When we're in the middle of the trial, when we're in the middle of the river and the current is strong, when people's hatred against us is so hard to bear and we hear scoffing remarks that we know are not true, If we get to thinking about it and take our eyes off Jesus, start feeling sorry for ourselves, we are ready to fall. But what we need to say is, Lord, I'm much weaker than Moses. (laughs) I'm very weak. Please take my eyes and help me to focus them on you, on your truths, on the promises that the trial will come to an end and heaven is forever. that a trial would never come that I could not bear. Because that's what He promised. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. That's true, God is faithful. We have temptations. Our escape is to the mountain of God, friends. And we'll be able to bear it. Jesus was sustained by looking ahead to the joy that was set before him. Again, Hebrews 12, 2, we've seen it again. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Let's learn from that example. I mean, Jesus, he, he thought about the joy he would have in the future. He concentrated on that joy. He kept his eye focused on that joy. And that's how he endured the cross. By focusing on the joy ahead of him, he endured it. And there's a key to us, right there. One time I read a story about a soldier who was taken captive, and I may have shared this before, I don't call but and he was put in one of the the worst communist concentration camps there was there in Russia and one of the things that they did was they shoved him in a cage that was too too small for him and they did this with a lot of them because you got to have room right sure they did and they would keep him in there for days and Many of the the people that they threw into these these uh, prisons and these cages they didn't survive, but they never broke this man's spirit, and so he became an object. As you can imagine, they never broke his spirit, and eventually he was released. And after he was released, he was interviewed. And everybody wanted to know what was his secret. And he said, when I was in that uncomfortable cage, he said, it was horrible. He said, my whole body ached. I longed to stretch. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. Everything ached. But he said, I would think of my wife, what it would be like when I came home, what she would say, how happy she would be, he said, I'd think about that, that by the hour By no, my wife. But they found that he liked to play golf, of all things. He liked to play golf. So as he lay in that cage, all crunched up, he would practice his swing. I guess you do whatever you can to get your mind off of it, you know. So he would practice that, that, uh, that swing. In his mind, he would play a round of golf at his golf course back home. And he'd think about every hole. Think what he would use on that hole, the club, and, and everything. And so in a few days he went and he played a game of golf. You know, and he shot the best game he had ever had at that course at home. It's actually a pretty remarkable story. I can't remember what magazine I was in. I was reading it. But he practiced so long, when he went home, he shot the best he'd ever shot, ever. It's a remarkable story of endurance, really. He'd been practicing in a cage for months, how to swing. There you go. Thinking about his wife, he was able to endure. What was the joy that Jesus was thinking about on the cross? In Isaiah 65, 19, says, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. What was he thinking about on the cross? He was thinking about you. That's what he was thinking about. The joy of my people, says there in Isaiah, was the focus of his thoughts. Jesus endured because He was thinking of the delight that you would have in the kingdom. You were on His mind. I was on His mind. It's personal with Christ, isn't it? He saw the happy looks that would be on your face, and He endured. For for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Do you know how you can endure? You can endure by thinking about him. He endured about thinking he endured by thinking about you. You can endure by thinking about him. You can think about what he went through for your salvation. And you'll have strength to go through the trials of life, to be patient, to overcome all anger, all fretfulness, all temptation. Beloved, I think we need to get our minds off the trials of this life. And the only way that we can do that, we need to have our mind riveted on the one that has gone through the trials already. They made sneering remarks that cut to the very quick the heart of Christ while He was on the cross. He knows what it means to be reproached. He knows what it means to be betrayed. He knows what it means to be alone. But He endures. Just thinking of the joy that He could bring you. That's how He endured. Isn't that remarkable? Jesus is always thinking about us, isn't He? And you can endure thinking about the joy that you can bring Him. There is a wonderful joy that's laid up for the saints. A great part of that joy will be in seeing our Lord happy. Did you know that? Jesus said something in Mark 13 I want to share with you, so I can close up. Kind of a warning here. Mark 13, verse 12 says, Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son. And children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But notice what he says. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. We know by studying the Bible that righteousness and truth don't mix with error. So if you're standing in defense of truth, you're going to be hated. But Jesus says, you can endure that hatred. Are you ready to endure hatred? If you endure, you will be saved. But the time is coming when all hatred will be at an end. See? trials, hatred, all this is temporary. Heaven is forever. (laughs) Our scripture reading tells us this. Isaiah 35.10 says, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. Oh, friends, we can't imagine how glorious it's going to be there. It says, They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. It's going to be destroyed. Sorrow and sighing. We're not going to see it ever more. Forever and ever and ever. So look to Jesus. He's the source of hope, isn't he? Stay out, devil. Look to Jesus. He can give you hope. You may feel trapped in a set of circumstances. I mean, that may appear to be out of your control, but you do have some control. You're in the middle of a trial. If you look to Jesus, He will give you comfort. He will give you endurance. Go back over the promises of God, the blessed hope. Read Isaiah 66, 65, 66. Jesus will give you joy. You'll have peace in the middle of that trial because He is sufficient to take you through keep looking friends to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith and let him finish the book he's begun writing in you let's have a word of prayer Father in heaven we thank you so very very much for Jesus we thank you that though we go through trials here we know they're they're ultimately for our best good and we thank you for them we know that you have our best interest at heart help us Lord not to murmur not to be rebellious, but to always be faithful. Please continue to pour our blessings upon this Sabbath day and the days ahead till we can meet again. And sing praises to your name. We ask this in the blessed name of Jesus who is so worthy.